Troy and Abed and Annie in the morning was a really fun thing. <laughs> it was like my personal dream. Welcome to EW's Binge Community, where we're doing a deep dive into the NBC cult classic comedy. I'm Derek Lawrence. And I'm Chance Benregard. Today, we're, moving, we're up to junior status now, Chance. We're talking season three. Um, and on this episode, we're, we're really excited to be joined by Allison Bree, uh, who, of course, played Annie. Uh, but before getting to that conversation with her, um, I want to talk season three with you, Chance. Another great season. We talked about on the last episode where I think season two is the clear number one. But I mean, they really still roll into season three on a hot streak and, and firing out great episodes. Um, what, what's your overall impression of season three? I think season three, I was sort of, I was surprised by, I still love it, but it has dropped in my ranking of the seasons. Uh, it's so great, but I just think like the Chang stuff doesn't work as well um, now as it did when I was like watching it live. I still found it really funny. It just doesn't, as engaged with it. Um, overall, though, I still love it. Like again, there's more Batman, so I'm I'm in. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like season three features maybe the episode that you and uh, the rest of the team here at EW selected as the best episode of Community of all time. It right? does. It Remedial does, Chaos yes. Theory. When you put out the best episode the show's ever done, um, I mean, you're still you're still Emmy doing nominated. something right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Thankfully, this is the one, right? Was this the one, yeah. uh, the one Emmy? Which is crazy. That's uh, that's really insane. You know, we'll me and Chance will dive further into season three, and we'll talk remedial chaos theory and a lot more. Um, but before that, let's dive into our conversation with uh, Allison Bree. As a reminder, this interview was recorded via Zoom because of the quarantine. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, how's your? I mean, how's your quarantine life going? How it's a weird, <laughs> weird times. Yeah, it's it's pretty weird, but um, it's certainly aided by you know having a great love for my husband and my cat. So we've got like a good little quarantine household going, and I'm super excited that Community is on Netflix because. I've dipped back in and watched some episodes. I definitely watched a ton of season three episodes to prepare for this. Um, I can't shake the Annie within me uh, that wanted to like do my homework. And it's been really fun to rewatch episodes. We've talked to Danny as well, and he was doing the same thing. He was actually watching with his kids, which was like a funny like experience. What's that been like for you kind of rewatching? Oh my God. Well, first of all, did Danny tell you that he's been sending us, the cast, uh, texts of his kids talking about their takes on certain episodes? And it's just been like our favorite thing, getting reviews from Danny's seven-year-old kids about like the Jeff and Annie relationship. You know, they're not really there yet. They're like season one, but uh, it's that, that part is really funny. And I'm loving rewatching it. There's so much content from the actual episodes that I don't really remember because when I watch it, I just think about the antics that we were up to. You know, we would shoot 18 hour days and we would shoot five day episodes. And so like, I remember less what made it to air in the episode, but I remember more like all the outtakes, all the bits that we were doing behind the scenes. And it, it really comes flooding back, like certain episodes that I'm like, I don't remember this episode at all. And then I see like <laughs> Ken Jeong, you know, like tasering his balls. And I'm like, that I do remember. I do remember us making a lot of jokes about Ken tasering his balls. 
<laughs> Chain kidnapped the Dean? Even for him, that's insane. Is it? Think about it. Again. My other top two is episode 17, Basic Lupine Urology, yes. which is the yes. take on Law & Order. I hadn't really watched a lot of Law & Order before we did that episode, and then I did a deep dive. And re-watching it years later, I'm just so proud of the episode. We have proof Ariane was murdered, and now you find your softness? It's eat or be eaten when that's convenient, but when the going gets tough, Winger gets nervous, huh? We have no case, Annie. It's too late to get one, Jeff. We only have time to get justice. It, the way they did even just our intro, it really speaks to communities commitment always to our send-ups of these, uh, you know, our homages really to uh, different types of shows and things like that, that we didn't half-ass it. We really did it all the way. And Donald and Danny are so funny in that episode, trying to get like the final cop zinger in every scene. Looks like it's gonna be a late night. How we managed to pull the short straw? It's not a short straw. It's a hot potato. Yeah, well, looks pretty cold to me. Cold or dead? Survey says. We can't bolt to the zinger. Sorry. It's just so well done. Somehow the story all works the way that like random characters are tied in like Todd and Vicky and Neil. It's, uh, I really love it. It's funny. We just did a ranking of our, our top 15 episodes at UW and like, I think that was number four for us. And we were like, this is like the best homage because you said the commitment to the details, so detailed. Just, it's like to, from like, from where it's written to the way it was shot. I mean, looking back on that episode, do you remember it like feel, feeling different shooting it? Like it felt like a different kind of episode? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, anytime that we did those kind of homage episodes, we would all get in the groove of it. And uh, often like in the hair and makeup trailer, we'd be on YouTube right before kind of watching and listening to the way that people talked. And because the wardrobe would change, I feel like mm -hmm. that is what kind of informed it a lot also, you know, in that episode, we're wearing a lot of coats, <laughs> like the guys are in suits. It's like very not Troy and Abed style clothing. And even Jeff and Annie were like in these lo like long trench coats and I'm in a blazer when I'm like a lawyer. And <laughs> I feel like that made a big difference. And the way that we, the way that the dialogue was written, you just got it. I know how scary a failing grade can be, but this one dead yam won't tarnish your record. What will tarnish it is lying to your class, to your teacher, and to me, the American citizen you've sworn to protect. Another highlight episode of that season was uh, Remedial Chaos Theory. Um, of course. Well, yeah, and we nominated. Are, yes, absolutely. I know, I know. I, I feel bad not putting it in my top two. Uh, it's, it's a close third for me, maybe just because I had Roxanne stuck in my head for like months after we shot it. It was really fun to shoot, but it was also like this bizarro world as we were working our way through these different timelines us as actors were shooting this like weird bottle episode trapped in the apartment and um torg the little um troll that that pierce gives to uh donald uh to troy haunted us all like and we would just make jokes about torg for years to come. Oh, 
Yeah, that that one just had to be crazy filming. A, just like as actors, you probably can't even keep track of what timeline you're in at a certain point, right? Totally, right. It was a very weird, it just was a weird episode. Also, I'll never forget Gillian's like pizza dance. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> smells weird. I beg your pardon? It smells weird, what did you do? Abed, you don't ask someone a question like that. It's not dignified. But also crazy stuff happens in that episode. There was a fire. There was like, you know, we would have these episodes of the show in a half hour comedy where we suddenly would have like major stunts and things like that. And weirdly, that's an episode where we have a big scene like that, where there's fire and a gunshot and things like that. I'm curious, when you read that script the first time, I guess, did you have a sense of like already like of how beloved that episode could become no i don't think so i mean all of them truly we would leave the table reads like so psyched <laughs> as a cast um because the episodes were always so good and the more that dan was able to like push the envelope always excited us more but no i think there was no way to really know at the time which episodes would hit and become you know such a thing and and again because to shoot it it didn't even feel like the scope of it didn't feel as big as something like a paintball episode where mm -hmm. like the paintball episodes you were like oh people are gonna love this like we're outside shooting paintball where it's like we're shooting it like an action movie justin lynn's directing things like that you know for remedial chaos theory you know we're sitting around the table and rolling a die like <laughs> and then these different things were happening but it was very bizarre and i even think that the shoot went on longer than the five days and we had to go back and pick up scenes at different times it was more like a weird cursed episode when we were shooting it, it felt like super bizarre so no i was not like this is the one <laughs> this will be the one emmy nom for our show Obviously, there's a musical number with, you know, Roxanne there, but season three literally starts with a musical number. And, you know, you guys pledging to be less weird this year, which I'd almost argue you guys even got even weirder. So, so was that like a joke for you guys that you guys were talking about? Or you're like, oh, we're actually going to really get even weirder. Oh, I mean, that opening number is basically just Dan Harmon taking the network notes from seasons one and two and then like giving a big... <laughs> to them. I think, I, you know. We're gonna fly to school each morning. We're gonna smile the entire time. We're gonna be more happy. We're gonna finally be fine. We're gonna get more calm and normal. We're gonna fix our state of mind. We're gonna be less crazy. We're, We're gonna, gonna finally be fine. I'm pretty sure that was him saying, like, Here's been my directive for the season. We're supposed to be less weird. We're supposed to, uh, you know, make ourselves accessible for a wider audience. I'm going to put all of that in this very first song and then immediately go against it. Like even in the first episode, there's a crazy dream sequence when Jeff is losing his mind with like old Pierce and like the table standing, you know, uh, it, 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 it's like, I, I don't know. I would say that season three is one of our weirdest seasons. I actually think that's where we really push the envelope more than ever. And, and when I was watching stuff back, I was sort of thinking, 
that it, I think season three, our show has always been made for the fans. And I think that like, you know, certain shows develop a really close relationship with their fans, this like symbiotic relationship. And I think that season three is where we really locked into that and truly going against what we say in that opening number, we're making the show for like a very specific group of people who we knew got the show and loved the show. You know, there's a um, there's a payoff to a three season joke, you could call it, uh, in the Halloween episode of season three, in which uh, my character, I say Beetlejuice. I'm referencing like a Beetlejuice uh, soundtrack in the Halloween episode of season three. And anyway, that was the third time that someone had said Beetlejuice on the show in three seasons. We said Beetlejuice once a season. And in season three, when I say it for the third time, Beetlejuice appears and walks by behind me. That's the type of shit that Dan and the writers would put in just for our fans. And they would see it and find it mm -hmm. and appreciate it. Like, it is so subtle. It's crazy. There's no, it's like even Beetlejuice walking by in the background is not pointed out at all. I had to rewind it to show my husband again and be like, no, because you don't, you don't even know that this is an amazing payoff. What's the blonde's name? Bitter Butter Beetlejuice? Britta. What are those underwear made out of? They look luxurious. Oh, they're an organic soy cotton blend. This Gwynifer must be real special. Don't you usually wear the stripy turquoise Beetlejuice numbers? There's nothing in your playlist but Spooky Party, the Beetlejuice soundtrack, and NPR podcasts. <laughs> and people would see it and find it and post it on Twitter. I feel like Twitter, you know, now I loathe Twitter. I don't really go on there. But um, right. when we were shooting Community, it was like our main avenue to uh, having a relationship with our fans. And we would always go on Twitter to check and see what the fan reactions were. And on Twitter, we would see where, you know, they would have reactions to something like that and make a still of Beetlejuice or put a compilation video of the three times of us saying it. It was like very sweet and and just reciprocated you know from both sides in terms of us really loving our fans and the writers writing for them and the fans equally appreciating that writing i think the season three was also big uh story-wise for annie and when she moves in with abed and troy what did you enjoy and what excited you about being thrown in the mix there with them Oh, I, I mean, that it was the best. I love those guys. When we were shooting the show, Danny and I, you know, for six years shared a trailer, like a two banger trailer, and we were just inseparable. And Donald was like the third to our trio and the three of us hung out constantly in, in real life. So, uh, I, I really loved that that was reflected in our characters. And it's cute that Annie got to be included a little bit in, uh, in Troy and Abed's romance, even though, you know, she's sort of the outlier in terms of how they live together in their household. But Annie was, in terms of like the study group, she's on the younger side of the characters along with Troy and along with like the childlike way that Abed and Troy like to 
play games and explore and do stuff in their imagination. So it's very cute, I think, having the three of them together. I like when Annie tries to get in on Troy and Abed in the morning and they like let her be a guest. And then in a later episode, I'm like, oh, did I write it down? Um, they like walk in on her doing it herself, right? They walk in on her doing it herself, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was really, Troy and Abed and Annie in the morning was a really fun thing. <laughs> it was like my personal dream. Troy and Abed and Annie in the morning. What are you doing? Nothing my ass. What are all these cameras doing here? When I was watching the season recently, I think one moment I really liked was a moment, uh, I think I think it's in the episode where she moves in and Annie is like, a lot of the, like, I always have to like adjust myself to like, or, or change myself to hang out with you guys, but you guys would never do it for me, which I thought was a great character moment for her as well, her standing mm -hmm. up for herself um, and asserting herself, I thought was really great too. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, later in the season, there's the big Dreamatorium episode with Annie and Abed in the Dreamatorium. And uh, I rewatching that, I was sort of like, God, Annie's so mean <laughs> to Abed in this episode. From the minute I joined the study group, I've been worried about how uptight I am and how I'm no fun. And then I was worried that I wouldn't fit in here or be able to hang with you guys. But you know what? Why don't you ever ask yourselves whether you can hang with me? Why am I always the one that has to adapt? I'm sick of this crap. Enjoy your stupid dreamatorium. We will, because this is our apartment too. And just because we're awesome doesn't mean we're not adults. But it is sort of like, we're always bending over backwards trying to, you know, accommodate Abed's imagination and, and her sort of like getting fed up with that. But then actually it turns into this amazing episode about Kind of what makes Abed tick and what his fears are about the study group and about eventually being alienated um, because of his social awkwardness and things like that. And, and I guess that's another cool thing about the show is like, even when we did sort of themed episodes, they often would move the story forward or advance your knowledge about the characters in some way. So it wasn't just like, oh, and then Annie and Abed will play around in the dreamatorium and it's just like silly and they get to wear costumes and do accents. You know, it's really tapping into something deeper about Abed's character, which was cool. Also, Danny and I got to do like a very meta thing where we were doing, you know, like me playing Danny playing me. <laughs> <laughs> and vice versa, which was fun. Abed? Yeah. I find you by turning into you. How cool is that? Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Tell me where we are so I can pretend to see it. We're inside a locker. It's where I spent a lot of time in junior high. You think this is where we'd put you? You know that's absurd, right? Well, I'm not stupid. You can see I've increased the square footage. It's a metaphorical locker. It's a place where people like me get put when everyone's finally fed up with us. Another key relationship episode I felt like for season three for Annie was uh, this Origins of Vampire Mythology, which was big for her and Britta. Right. Um, yeah, which I felt like that friendship wasn't necessarily like spotlighted just the two of them that often, but I thought mm -hmm. it did it really well here. Uh, kind of what did you like about exploring um, that bond between Annie and Britta in that episode? Um, you know, I, I love, I like obviously Annie and Britta, I think at first, had a tough time being really close because Jeff was sort of in the middle and, you know, those sort of romantic entanglements kind of got in the way. In season three, there's a, 
you know, Britta Troy romance that's brewing that Annie's very excited about. And then they get to kind of settle into more of like a big sister, little sister uh, kind of relationship, which even starts, I would say, in the Annie's move episode when Annie moves in with the guys and Britta's like, let me give you some advice about when you're roommates with your friends, even though no one really wants advice from Britta. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> even though Annie thinks she knows everything and knows what's best, she still is a bit naive to a lot of things. So like, I feel like that's the nice balance between them. Can you imagine how much fun this is gonna be, me living with Troy and Abed? Yeah, there'll be a honeymoon phase, but won't be long till you hate their guts. What's this little guy's name? I'll never hate Troy and Abed. My God, I forgot, you're 20. Don't worry, it's natural. When you become roommates with friends, the things you love about them become the things that make you want to smother them with a pillow. He wanted to ask you as well, also about Annie and Jess' relationship. It's like also in that musical number, and they joke about how they're gonna get together that season. I feel like the show never committed one way or another to whether or not they should be together or they should not be together. I, I guess, how did you feel about their relationship? I guess, did you hope it would be, eventually become romantic? Or were you glad that you guys never actually went in that direction? First of all, the whole Jeff Annie relationship was a real surprise. It was never intended for the two of them to have any sort of romantic thing, like from the very start of the show. And obviously Britta and, and Jeff and their whole, uh, you know, Jeff pursuing Britta is like the impetus for the first <laughs> season. But after we did the debate episode in season one and we had this weird kiss thing and fans really responded to it. So that was sort of like another fun, like fan communication type of thing that happened. And then it kind of became this ongoing will they, won't they trope. And that certainly played up a lot in season three. And I guess in season three, we also start to acknowledge uh, Annie's, age and sort of their age difference um <laughs> which i feel like some people pointed out and would have problems with and others wouldn't you know it was a funny thing because gillian jacobs and i are the same age but i was playing annie who's who's much younger than Britta in the world of community. So like in our minds, we're like, it's not that weird, but I guess we've really set up Annie as like this little girl. Uh, so kind of breaking her out of that, I think is part of her storyline in season three as it relates to her relationship with Jeff. I feel like a lot of their conversations are about like, I'm not a little girl anymore. <laughs> Careful, Annie. You don't want this little girl to suck you back to the dark side. Hey guys, what are you trying to do here? This is our Annie. That little twerp is a can of Annie Light. She couldn't hold a candle to the real thing in any category of anything. Oh. Well, I wasn't fishing for that. You're the best kiddo. I guess I'm, I'm glad that we never went too far in that direction because the flirtation is the fun part of it all. Like, and I think Dan Harmon really had an understanding of how shows can get boring once any characters like really start to date on a regular basis and that was not something he ever wanted to explore and it was kind of fun to keep the whole group just as a friend group yeah and get to you know kind of like have those little departures in moments even i mean this is not season three and spoiler alert <laughs> but even watching like the finale of the whole series I had totally forgotten that Jeff and Annie have a very romantic moment at the end of the whole series. I was like, oh my God, is that what this show is about? Like, <laughs> of course it wasn't. It was about the whole friend group, but like, I, I felt like very retroactively touched that, that Jeff and Annie's relationship 
actually was a, a very big part of the show. Ooh, are we interrupting? Stop being gross. Are you guys doing an unauthorized finale in here? Wrapping up season three, is there for you a specific episode past season three that you're excited maybe for you to rediscover or for other people to uh, rediscover? I mean, the ass crack bandit episode <laughs> in season five will forever be one of my favorite episodes. So I highly recommend that if people have not gotten there yet. Great, now I have these folders to deal with. And two pencil. When it rains, it pours. I wish I was Five and he specifically like that was a highlight of him was mm -hmm. bandit yeah oh, we all loved it so much and just we've made a lot of we got to make a lot of butt crack jokes while we were shooting it <laughs> and when you're watching it i was gonna say li people listen out for uh <laughs> for the song because in fact when you're watching the whole series there's something that like in the background of scenes Sometimes songs will play that are just these like random original songs. I mean, not random at all, actually, but like very intentional original songs that were written for the show. And they're so funny. It's like extra comedy on top of whatever's happening in the scene. We never, we never found out who that was, right? We never got an ass crack bandit. Uh... Well, it's hinted, it's heavily hinted that it was Annie in the final season, right? Well, I don't think anybody knows uh, <laughs> who that was. I don't, I, I, I certainly don't know. Well, Allison, I really appreciate you, you joining us and talking about uh, season three. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. My yeah, favorite absolutely. thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Thank you so much to Allison for joining us. Um, this is a real a delightful conversation. Chance, this is a question that I think I put to Allison and we've put to a lot of the, the guests. Um, for season three, uh, what what comes to mind first? Is it remedial chaos theory or is it something else? It's not actually. I think the first thing I always think about is um, regional holiday music, which is my favorite episode of the scene that is not remedial chaos theory. Everything's cooler when cameras are spinning, singing and dancing in unison. In an is the gift that we need. Glee. Grady's knives are out for this, you know, like they hate Glee. They hate Glee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love how specific the jokes are about like hating Glee doesn't mean you're a bully. Who hates Glee? Listen to how that sounds. Glee literally means Glee. Oh, stop it! Not liking Glee Club doesn't make us bullies, and implying that is reverse bullying. Good point. Sing about it. No. no! Annie's Christmas song, which is 
hilarious because how just so sexy that it's or too sexy becomes like babyish and not sexy. Uh, baby boomer Santa Claus, great. Uh, I mean, Troy and Abed's the, rap. The Troy, oh, Troy and Abed's rap. rap, a classic. Um, and there's just so much in. I mean, also Taryn uh, Taryn Killam as Mister uh, as Mister Rad. <laughs> it's just I, I love it all. Um, and I think that's the an episode I constantly think about. I like, think about community the show as a whole. You know, we have to be happy to get to the end. We have to save Christmas to save our friends. We have to save Christmas to save our friends. We have to save Christmas to save our friends. Hey guys, rapping? Yep. Want to join us? Totally. Wait, you guys never let me rap with you. Well, we're gonna need all hands on deck if we're gonna go to regionals. Cool. I just need to study, though, in my room. So have fun! Me, again, like I said, this is with the caveat, you know, with picking my own favorite episode. It's, like you said, my favorite non-Remedial uh, Chaos Theory episode, because, um, you know, we could talk about that all day. I ended up with the uh, documentary filmmaking Redux. Oh, amazing. Why go Greendale? Just because. Cut. Cut. Lose the bald cap. What? I don't like it. It's hokey, it's fake. Take it off. I always liked when we gave Jim Rash as the Dean a spotlight. He did such a great job with that character. And I feel like through all of our interviews, maybe not everyone, but almost everyone would bring up how good Jim Rash was yeah. and how they were always impressed and he could, whatever he would do would make them laugh. He would never like forget a line. He was, he was always- He never had a bad take. Yeah, exactly. And he, he really shines here with the Dean kind of losing it um, with this kind of like apocalypse now um, type play on, on making this documentary for the school. And then it also has, uh, I mean, it's some great stuff. Jeff as the Dean um, trying, <laughs> trying to get fired, but then the Dean loving it. He's um, like, no, use that. And then Chang stepping in for Jeff as the deed uh, was great. You're wrong for the part! Understudy! Uh, also, the payoff to the Luis Guzman like statue, yeah. um, with Luis Guzman finally making a cameo, the, the most famous Greendale alum. Um, I've always had a soft spot for him, uh, so I thought he was great in his cameo. Why do I go Greendale? The Dean is a genius. To meet different people. With three kids at home, you better believe every penny counts. I love my time, okay? I got laid like crazy. So why should you? Why should you? Why should you go to Greendale? Greendale is the best school in the entire world. Go Greendale, go Greendale, go! Another one, basic uh, Lupin urology, which was the Law and Order kind of homage um, that I know also made your guys' uh, rankings of best episodes. Uh, that's the one that Dan Hardman pointed to when we talked to him. So let's uh, let's hear what he has to say about that. It's a it's a Megan Yan's draft. She was a huge Law and Order fan. It's a, a, another superb draft. But Schraub coming on, he takes the job of. Uh, of uh, accomplishing a look very seriously. And then I just remember him coming into work, having watched a million hours of Law and & Order. Um, and, and he was like, I want to talk to the wardrobe supervisor. I just, I want, I want it, is it okay if it's autumn for this entire episode in New York uh, in terms of color tone and everyone's wardrobe? Can everyone just be inexplicably experiencing the fall in in new york and i was like i'd love to hear this stuff because i don't think about that at all and when you watch that episode it's just like 
uh, you know, Jeff in this, you know, overcoat with the collar popped up, getting a hot dog with Annie on the on the steps outside the library. But like, I just all of the we had so much fun writing that episode because there were just a ton of Law and Order fans in the writers' room, and I feel like the actors had a blast doing it. It's just it's just, that's such a great. It was one of those ones where you you just sort of feel like, I, God, can can we just spin off? a show where we do law and order all the time, which may be the reason for the success of law and order is because it's just so, it's just such a great way to write, like to just do these like series of, of box cars that all contain all this information. Some of which is random, some of which is building to something and ultimately culminating in this crazy like drama in a courtroom. What if our yams roots were dead before they hit the ground? Hey, that's mine! Look at it. Everyone look. Smushed without being stepped on. Because it didn't have to be stepped on. Because it was boiled. And Chance, I think the basic Lupin urology really leads us into uh, our season MVP um, when it comes to, to year three. And it's, I don't know if it's a coincidence or, you know, that it's, uh, our guest, Allison Bree. Why for you did, did Allison and uh, her performance as Annie really stick out here? The Law and Order episode, I think she, uh, along with the cast, sort of just nailed the sort of uh, the rhythm of the dialogue of a Law and Order episode. Because and like Allison said in our travel, like she had never been a Law and Order fan before that. Again, the song in the Glee episode, her performance is hilarious. Yeah, one of the, one of my favorite moments. It's a small little moment in the season where um, her and Jeff are talking, and they they uh, they said that they had done this whole save uh, Garrett rally, and then they learn later that there's actually a rally for Garrett, and she's like, "But we saved him." Like she's really <laughs> like she's like, "What? But we saved him." Save Garrett? What's wrong with Garrett? Nothing now. We saved him. Wait, that's saved, Garrett? The the supporting character we wanted to talk about for this season, we picked uh, Star Burns, um, which is a favorite uh, of ours. Um, uh, I'm going to butcher his, his last name, but Dino Stamatopoulos, uh, who was a, a writer on the show as well. He fakes his death, which we, we don't know until the end when it's revealed that he, he is alive. His death is sort of a, a major factor in the uh, in the season. His funeral episodes where like, the Greendale 7 get expelled and so i think he he has a very important role to the to the overarching plot of the season somehow the starburns bit never gets old um so yeah i had forgot on the rewatch i think it's the second season premiere they come back and he's added the hat like i forgot that he didn't always <laughs> have the hat oh starburns i see you added a lizard to your special hat and sideburns am i missing anything yeah the human being underneath it all, but no one's really interested in that, are they? No. What have we talked about that, that stands out? I mean, I guess just to wrap up the last thing I'm going to point to again, Abed is Batman, dude. Uh, another great performance from Danny Pudi is Batman. Uh, his, his, as he's like grabbing up the window, the night curls and uncurls up his finger like it's saying, hey, you, come here. Great. Great. You're lying to keep me out of danger, but there can be no peace. While crime spits and dances on the grave of justice to the hot beats and infectious rhythms of all that is wrong. 
And I think that's the perfect segue to the end because on the next episode, uh, we'll be talking season four. Yes, we're still, we're, we're doing season four, uh, the gas leak season. We're not skipping it. Um, and we're going to be joined actually by Jim Rash and Joel McHale um, together to talk a you know, Jeff Dean relationship. And Jim wrote an episode that season. So there'd be a lot to dive in with them. You've heard all our thoughts about how much you love this show. If you want to share yours, you can find me on Twitter at Chancellor Agard. And me at Derek J. Lawrence. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to subscribe to EW's Binge wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. So tune in for the next episode. But until then, class dismissed.